Father, thanks for a gorgeous morning out and for being here in your house to study your word. I pray that you would guide our thoughts, our discussions today, and help us to learn that which you would teach us. Thank you again for this opportunity in Christ's name. Amen. Um, we're working our way down through the vocabulary of salvation. We'll call it the vocabulary of it because we use different words to describe our salvation. And uh, last week we talked about the importance of knowing what these words are. And uh, especially since a lot of times today we want to dumb down, or Christianity wants to dumb down the gospel to the extent that we don't want to use these great words. We want to get rid of the hymns that talk about these kind of words because absolutely, you know, nobody knows what those words mean anymore. Um, let's get rid of the hymns. Let's uh, take those words out of our Bible. Let's have, a, let's have a translation of the Bible that gets rid of propitiation because nobody knows what that word is anyway. So we'll, we'll replace it with something else. And uh, the problem with that is you're losing some of the richness of what the gospel is all about. These words are important. Um, they need to be taught, they need to be understood, and they need to be cherished because they tell us something about our salvation that uh, is rich and deep and meaningful. And we've talked about two of these so far. We've talked about faith, what faith is, and we won't go back there. Faith is believing God and doing something about it, basically. You believe God and you're going to do something on the basis of that. And then we talk, started talking about repentance last year, we did, or last year, yeah, last week. Um, we started talking about repentance. And uh, we made the assertion that repentance is a necessary component of the gospel message. And it's a necessary component of the salvation experience. All of us who came through the narrow gate had to repent of our sins. And one of the great uh, dangers, I think, today, and one of the great pressures today is there is a pressure in Christianity to, let's get rid of the repentance, the R word. We don't want to preach repentance. Um, that's a harsh concept. Um, you don't want to want to tell sinners they need to repent because you might turn them off. And uh, how, what should your response be to that? Repentance should be in all parts of your life. Repent. And if they're turned off by repentance, what kind of convert would they be? Not the kind you want. You know what? What would you know? What would the uh, Marine Corps do if you wanted to join the Marine Corps but you didn't want to go to basic training? You know, see ya, buddy. Um, yeah, you, you, you want to join this thing of salvation of of the redeemed. You have to come through the narrow gate, and part of the narrow gate is that you need to repent of your sins. Now, some have said. And I'll pick on one teacher, in Charles Ryrie. Anybody have a Ryrie study Bible in here? I know. I can't get you to get rid of yours. Um, <laughs> That's my friend Mike from Moody. He knows me. I pick on him all the time. So, um, But Charles Ryrie would say, and if you look at the back of the Char Ryrie study Bible, Charles Ryrie says repentance is not a necessary component of salvation. Rather, it's just to change your mind about Jesus. It's just to change your mind. Metanoia, to change your mind. All it is is to change your mind about Jesus. So, if you preach repentance, what he says, he asserts, that you're adding to the gospel. You're adding a necessary, a condition of the gospel which moves it from a gospel of grace to a gospel of somewhat works. Now, he won't go so far as to say it's all of works, but he says, look, you're adding this concept of a work to the gospel. You're telling the sinner he has to do something. 
And that's not the true gospel. The true gospel is you just believe. Well, there's a way to answer that, and that is all you need to do is look and see what Jesus said about this. And that solves the issue right there. All right, you go find out. What it, I'm sorry, you're going to say? That's right. Wrapped up in the concept of repentance is an acknowledgement that you are a sinner, an acknowledgement you're in trouble, and that you need to turn from the way you're going and go in a different direction. It includes a change of mind about Jesus, but it's more than just changing your mind about Jesus. It's turning in a whole new direction. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it's it's an action word, and we, we talked last week about when the guys came to John. Remember, they came down to John the Baptist and. John was baptizing for what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he says, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. What is that? Well, if you're a soldier, be satisfied with your pay. If someone asks you to go a mile, go with them twice, two miles. If someone asks you for your coat, give them your cloak also. Um, if you're repenting, you're going to change your actions. It's not just a change of mind, it's a change of actions. And what we have done in our society, we've disconnected the two. We can change our mind about something, have no, no change in our actions, but that's okay. It's okay in our society. There's no concept like that in the Scripture. Um, I was reading what you said the other day. And, um, good, good author. Yeah, one of my favorites. And um, said, if people around you that know you don't notice a change in your life, you should be question whether you really are a Christian. Yeah. Vance, Vance Havner said something very profound. He says, if something walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and swims like a duck, it's probably a duck. So if someone acts like a sinner, talks like a sinner, lives like a sinner, probably he is a sinner. Um, the, the point is, repentance is a change in your life. It is a change in your mind. It is a change in your thinking, but it's accompanied with a change in your direction. It means to be converted, to go the other way. And the concept in salvation is it's not just repentance from your sin, but then it's coupled with faith towards God. All right, both of those are there. What was the problem with Judas? He felt bad about what he did, but he didn't exhibit any faith towards God. He felt bad, but it wasn't a feeling bad to the extent that I'm going to turn and go the other way. I'm going to place my faith in God. So both of those concepts are there. In Matthew 9:13 Right. The beatitudes. Yeah. You look you look at the people who are truly converted in the gospels. There is a brokenness over their sin. It's not just, oh gee, I did something bad, you know. No, there's, there's a shattering of their, of their hearts. Um, this is in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, I've read books recently that want to equate that to poverty. No, that's not what that's talking about. Jesus is not talking about those who are materially impoverished. He's talking about spiritual poverty. What does the person who is poor in spirit realize? They have no resources. They have nothing. They, are, they, are, they stand before God in absolute, total bankruptcy. They have nothing to offer God. 
They have, they have no redeeming quality. There's nothing in them that would make God turn his head towards them the least bit. They recognize their own spiritual bankruptcy. And then it says, blessed are they that mourn. Over what? Sin. Now, that, that concept of mourning, everybody in that day knew what mourning was. It's a total brokenness. It's a shattering. It's not people that just say, oh, I made a couple of bad turns here and there. This is someone who really sees their sin for what it is. Which, which, which really answers the question, is preaching against sin a necessary component of the gospel message? Yes, it is. So you get Joel Osteen standing up saying, well, just come to Jesus. He'll take you as you are and make life really great and wonderful for you. Your best life now. That is not the gospel, folks. That is a, that is a false gospel. And you need to run from that guy as fast as your two legs will carry you. Yeah, you don't get it here. My best life isn't here. I'll tell you that. We ain't seen anything yet. And then it says here, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What does it mean to be meek? It means to be strong and controlling. Yeah, it's to come to God understanding the strength is His, not mine. It's not me. It's not up to me. I can't do anything here. I can't pull this off on my own. When you want help, you want somebody who's capable. Right. And then it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's just there, there's one here. If someone says, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not. We're going to talk about security of salvation later. I don't know if I'm a Christian. Let me ask you a question. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you want to be righteous? Is that a desire of your heart? When, in the dark, you know, at night, when the TV's off and the radio's off, and you're just there with God, do you really want to be righteous? Yeah, because then I'm spooked. Yeah. 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 The the point is, that's that's the true heart of the believer. They want to be righteous. But repentance is a necessary component. Let's look at a couple of these passages here. It's implied, by the way, in Matthew nine thirteen. That word repentance there, um, it's it's not in the original text, but it's implied in the text. Because what is Jesus saying to the Pharisees? The Pharisees came to him and said, you know, well, are we blind too? And, and Jesus basically said, well, I want you to go and read something. I want out of mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to, come to call the righteous, but the yeah. sinners. Why didn't he come to call the righteous? Because they're not broken. They don't need it, right? I mean, the Pharisees were oblivious to the concept that they actually needed to repent. What was there to repent of? That was the rich young ruler's problem, right? Jesus told him and said, well, keep the law. Well, I've done that. So his idea in his mind was, well, there's nothing to repent of because I've already done it. There's no repentance needed. Right, and that's a good question. That's a good answer. And the way you get that is context, context, context. You look at the context of that passage, and he's talking to the religious muckety mucks that felt that they had, they had it. They didn't need Jesus. They didn't. Need, in fact, they were arguing and saying, "Why in the world are you?" That's after he called, by the way, Levi, Matthew, and the Pharisees saying, "What are you? What in the world are you doing eating with tax collectors?" See, in their mind, they wouldn't stoop to eat with a tax collector. They might get painted. 
And they're asking Jesus, why are you eating with tax collectors? And Jesus said, well, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. By the way, those that, are, that need a doctor are not the healthy people, they're the sick people. So what's he implying there? Satirically, he is implying, a satire, he is implying, you guys, I didn't come to talk to you because you don't need me. You think you don't need me. But the tax collectors and the publicans and the sinners, what do they recognize? They need me. They're the ones I've come to. Then Luke 13, 5. Um, Luke 13 is the passage. And there are some present at that very time that's told about the Galilean whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. They were given sacrifices and Pilate came in and slaughtered them along with their animals and their blood mingled with the sacrifice. It's sort of a gross kind of thing. But... And he answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans? See, in the Jewish mindset, if you suffer some evil, what's, what's going on? God's judging you. You deserve it. You did something. So implied in their question is, what did these Galileans do that would cause God to have Pilate come in and slaughter them? They must have done something. And Jesus doesn't answer that. He said, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? What's the implied answer? No. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. The issue is not why did they get slaughtered. The issue is why are you walking around? Why are you walking around? And then it comes here. Uh, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. They were building a tower. The tower, they had an industrial accident. Obviously, OSHA wasn't on the scene. And it killed 18 guys. He said, do you think that they were worse offenders than others who lived in Jerusalem? Do you think they were, the, they were the 18 bad guys so God knocked the tower over on top of them and killed them? You think that's the case? No. I tell you, unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. What is, what is, what is Christ equating repentance with there? What's he equating repentance with? Salvation. It's, it's, it's a word used to describe the salvation. of the. If you don't repent, if you're not saved, you're going to perish just like them. You're going, and, and the point there is none of us know when we're going to die. I mean, none of us have that figured out yet. And you need to, be, you need to repent. You need to be ready. And then if there's, there's a really another good passage on this in Luke chapter 16. This is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. We all know that story, but pop down to the end of the passage there. And here's the rich man arguing with Abraham about why don't you go send somebody back to talk to my brothers so they don't come to this place. And Abraham said in verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. What's Moses and the prophets? The Old Testament. They have the Old Testament. So if anybody has this idea, says, well, you know, the Old Testament just didn't have enough information. It had plenty. Christ said it had plenty. It's there. It's there. And that says here, said, no, Father Abraham, but if somebody goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Well, Christ tried that later on, right? Lazarus came back from the dead, and what did the Pharisees decide to do? They tried to kill Lazarus and Christ. That didn't work. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. But notice what he said here, No father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will what? Repent. Repent. 
implied in Luke 16, verse 30. It's not on here. Luke 16, 30. So what is Christ comparing repentance to? If if they repent, they won't come to Hades. What's implied in that? That's salvation. Don't, Don't let anybody give you this line that repentance is just changing your mind about Jesus. Or repentance is not a necessary component of the salvation message. Yes, it is. Christ said, the Gospels say, unless you repent, unless you turn from your sin and turn towards God and exercise faith in Christ, you're not going to go to heaven. And true repentance includes changing your life, changing your mind, changing your direction. It's included in it. It's all wrapped up. It's a single package deal. And don't split out, well, I'm just going to have somebody change their mind about Jesus. That doesn't cut it. Because that's not what the God... He's not saying here, the, the, rich, the, the, the man in Hades is not saying they just need to change their mind about the Old Testament, right? What's he saying? It's their way of life. It's more than just changing your mind about the, the, the Old Testament. It's repenting from your sin. That, that's the implication of that whole passage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, baptism. To, we, we've we've got baptism accreted with all kinds of stuff. Um, and really, when you look at baptism, all it was was a right. It was a common right in those days, and it was like uh, the right of initiation into something. The Essene community used it when you became an Essene. You were baptized. When you were baptized, you were officially part of that community. And, the, and the, the, the culture of that day understood that. Um, it's the same way in some of the countries. I think Nepal or Bhutan, one of those, if you convert to Christianity, they don't, give a, they don't care if you convert to Christianity, but when you're baptized, you've had it. Because in that culture, that means that's an official recognition that you have truly done that. And that's what John is doing. When you were baptized under John, you're not only saying you repent, but that baptism was an act whereby you publicly affirmed your agreement with the message of John and you exhibit it by what John said, changing your life, changing your attitudes, changing your, not, your mind about Jesus, about, about God, not Jesus, because they didn't understand all of that, but change your mind about God. I am a sinner. I want to be ready for the Messiah. I want to repent of my sin. I want to mourn over my sin. I want to turn from my sin. That's always what it is. And I don't know how... We have a gospel today where somebody can become a Christian and have no conscious understanding of their sin or turning from it. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And you don't have to water the gospel down for fear that, well, if I bring that in, they won't believe. Well, they're not believing anyways because you're not giving them the real deal. You understand that? You're getting them to sign up for something that is not the real thing. So that's not going to help any. Raise the bar, and if they come in, they're truly disciples. I think it's good also to, you know, the indication of the difference between this isn't, you know, is repentance a work, so to speak? Um, it's something you can do to earn something. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an effect. Yes. 
Work with faith. Right. Yeah, that's an important. Right. Not a cost. So if right. you're really called, of course you're repentant. Yeah. You know, but you can't, someone can't just go out and walk on their knees up the stairs to, you know, the Vatican and say, oh, now that I've made it halfway up. Or right. That's an important concept. It's not that you in your own human working is repenting, but who's allowing you to repent? Who's giving you the ability to repent? God is giving you the ability to repent, the ability to see, the ability to understand. Yeah. Um, that's a whole. That's a replacement in, in, in Catholic theology. That is a replacement for circumcision, and uh, what it does, it, it removes original sin. That's their idea. It removes original sin. So that I don't. Pizza and beer, I call it pizza and beer. Um, yeah, that's usually the. Somebody asked where that comes. I said they got it up over pizza and beer. Um, one. Let's let's look at this repentance thing. This is an important thing. If you go to Acts eight, um, twenty-two or twenty-one. This is the this is the story of Simon Magus. Remember him? He was converted supposedly, and he then sees Peter come up, and he sees the gift of the Holy Spirit fall, and he wants to buy that trick. Because he's a magician. He says, I'll give you money to be able to pull that one off. And here's Peter's response. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. What's he saying? And pray what? And pray that God would do what? that God would empower you to change. That's repentance. Repentance is not a human work. That's the point. Repentance is not something that you do in and of yourself apart from the Holy Spirit. Repentance is part of the package deal whereby God, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, enables you to see your sin, to understand your plight, to recognize your, your lostness before God and gives you the ability to turn and repent. It's a work of the God. It's not just you deciding of yourself, I'm going to repent today. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that. In what? And it says here, and pray to the Lord that if possible the ten of your heart may be forgiven. I think there's a, the King James... Huh? He's saying, repent and pray that God would forgive you. Um, there's, no, there's other, King James, I think, says it a little bit differently. Um, repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thy heart may be forgiven. Yeah. The, the implied in that is you need to repent and, cu- coupled with repentance, pray that perhaps God would forgive you of this. Right. It's coupled with, and there are other passages I don't have, where repentance is not a human work. That's the point. Some people want to say, and that's what Charles Ryrie's issue is. He says, well, you're making repentance a human work. Repentance is not a human work. What is repentance? Repentance is the result of God doing something in you. 
it's implied in there, I think. Okay? Yeah. If you go on and read down to you know, verse, verse 24, though, Simon doesn't want to repent himself. He wants others to pray for him because he doesn't want to see the consequences. Right. And later on, church history says he became an enemy of the faith. He became an enemy of the gospel. He never did repent. But, but the, the point there... Yeah. And see, that's the difference. The difference between true repentance and sort of a sham repentance is people who have a sham repentance are afraid of the penalty. They're not interested in the fact that they offended God. They just don't want to pay for it. That's the Cain, remember? Where Cain felt bad, but not bad enough to ask God to forgive him. He just didn't want to face the punishment for it. Where the true believer... The punishment is a secondary nature compared to the fact that I've offended a holy God and I want His forgiveness and His cleansing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the criminals in jail are sorry they got caught, but they're really sorry for committing the crime. That's the difference. And the true believer is sorry for committing the crime. And they're really not, you know, and they understand whatever punishment they get, they deserve anyhow. All right? They understand that. But repentance is not a human work. Any more than confessing your sin, is that a human work? For salvation? No. Who is enabling you to see your sin? The Holy Spirit enables you. You know, now we've argued about, well, is, you know, are you saved and then you repent or do you repent? I don't want to get into that right now. I am saying this, no matter whether you're from the Wesleyan or the Calvinistic background or whatever, you recognize that a person who comes to Christ repents. We can argue about what comes first, but there is repentance there. You follow that? There is repentance there. And where there's no repentance and no acknowledgement of sin and no consciousness of one's lostness, there can be no salvation because there's no need for that salvation. And, you know, from the Calvinistic perspective, I believe that God is the one who regenerates and enables a person to see and understand and repent. From a Wesleyan background, there's still a work of God that does that, but in all cases, it is a work of God that enables the sinner to believe and repent. And that's a necessary, and it's a, it's a necessary component. You can't split it apart. You can't split it apart. Um, Peter talks about this, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. Now, the idea there is he's not putting repentance and baptism together to provide salvation. What he's saying is repent, and as a consequence of repentance, what are you going to do? Be baptized. It's not adding baptism as a requisite for salvation. That's what some people want to do. They want to say, well, see, Peter's saying that salvation is given to those who repent and you're baptized. So if you repent but you're not baptized, you're not a Christian. That's the Church of Christ. Some of them believe that. No, that's not what he's saying. Yeah, and it would sort of follow up the poor guy on the cross who wasn't baptized, you know. Um, But it says here, repent. And they understood what what Peter's talking about. What was Peter telling the crowd? Just change your mind about Jesus? Well, it's more than that. It's more than just changing your mind about Jesus. It's changing your mind about Jesus, recognizing that you crucified the Son of God, recognizing who He is and what He did on the cross. That's what repentance is. 
It's more than just changing your mind about who the person of Christ is. We'll talk about the order of salvation and that is a tar pit that you can fall into and, and not get out. And I'm still sorting through a little bit and the, and the Bible is fuzzy on that and I think there's a reason is that there's some mysteries there that we don't comprehend. What we can say is in the salvation event. Let's, talk, let's say it this way. There's a salvation event where, where somebody passes from death to life. What do you see in that salvation event? You see an acknowledgement of sin somewhere in there. Right? They're going to acknowledge their sin. You see repentance in there. You see confession of sin in there. Um, God does the act of justification in there. Um, that person is regenerated in there. Now, what comes first? Well, we can argue about that till the millennium and not sort it all out. All right? But you, what, I, what I want to emphasize, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that just as a matter of just intellectual stimulation and the ability to argue in class and yell some more. Um, we'll talk about the order of salvation, but really... The important thing to remember is that in the salvation event, no matter whether you're from the Calvinistic or the Wesleyan Arminian persuasion or where Sammy is, um, <laughs> which is sort of along that line, she, she's none of the above. She would agree, hopefully, she would agree that in that salvation event, you see repentance, you see confession, you see regeneration, you see faith. All of those things are there. And when you look at a salvation event in somebody's life, somebody says, I'm saved, and you see no repentance, you see no confession of sin, you see no brokenness over sin, you see no comprehension of what Christ did, your only conclusion is that's not a real salvation. That was never there. That's not the real deal because they don't understand the basics of what it means to repent. Did I make any sense in all that? Yeah. All right. But you don't really, at the event, you really don't know whether it's a true one or not. You have to see the fruit of it. What happens... Right. The, the fruit of that event is then borne out in your life. Right. And that's when you know if it was a true... Right. Now, I might see someone repent. I mean, that's the parable of the soils, Right. I mean, what happened to that soil that fell on the, the stony ground? I mean, it shot up. You got people bawling, crying down, walking down the aisle, bawling, carrying on, and, and supposedly, oh, they're really born again. And then two years later, they're a Buddhist. All right? Well, there wasn't a true salvation there. But where there is true repentance, confession, change of life, there, or, or, or change of heart, there is a resultant change in your life. Right. And that's not you doing it. That's not you doing it. It's not you in and of yourself. And see, and see, within that salvation event, there are things that God sovereignly does. There are things that I do. I don't know how to sort it all out. Like what comes first? That's that's tough to sort out. You know. 
See, see, one of the things that will get you in the... Just, just to wet your appetite, one of the things that gets you in the knots is how can you believe unless God the Holy Spirit gives you sight? But how do you get sight? You believe. So you believe to get sight, but you need sight to believe. But you need to believe to get... I don't know how that all works out. It's not you. And, and, and trying to sort out and, and trying to unravel that and say what came first and you, you can really get yourself in some interesting knots trying to sort that out. Um, and it may be good to maybe think about that a little bit, but the big picture item, the 20,000 foot picture item here is where there is a true salvation event in a person's life, there is somewhere along the line repentance. There's an acknowledgement that you're a sinner, that you need to turn from your sin to God a realization that you have offended a holy God and that only His forgiveness will solve that problem. It's not you, it's Him. And how, do you, how are you enabled to repent? Well, somehow God mysteriously will work in your heart to bring about your ability to do that. So it's really not you doing it, it's God doing it. Because in and of yourself, you're dead in trespasses and sins. So God's got to do something. And, and again, we don't know necessarily how to sort all of that out. And it's fine detail. And I don't think we need to. And it might not even be a particular order, whatever that order is, because it may be an individual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. But the thing is, you have, in, in the salvation event, think of a black box. You have a sinner come in, you have a saint come out. Inside that black box, you have repentance, confession, right. forgiveness, regeneration, propitiation. All these words work in there. And they all have a part to play. Alright? But what you have is a sinner come in and a redeemed saint come out. And that's what we're talking about. What are these words that describe this? And what I'm saying is if you say, we, we can take the repentance part out of the Gospel, you've just eviscerated the Gospel. That's not what the true Gospel is. And there's no Gospel... If, there's no joining the Marines if you don't know what you're getting into. Alright. Well, is it therefore a simultaneous act of all those issues? Possibly, maybe not. Theologians have been arguing about that for 300 years. And they're still arguing about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not an either or, it's a both and. <laughs> I believe, but who gives me the ability to believe? God does. But how can God give me the ability to believe if I'm a sinner? Well, He opens my eyes, but I'm dead. I can't see. So how do... You know, you can be that... You know, you can rattle that around your head for a long time. So instead of going down that path here, I think, let's, let's fly up to 20,000 feet, look down and see, hey, when somebody's born again, there is repentance. There's a brokenness over sin. It may be differing degrees, right? There may be a different. Some people are more broken than others because of their background, because of whatever. But in all true salvation events, we'll call that you know, somebody come to that salvation event. There is an element of repentance, and that is equated many times in the gospels with the preaching of the gospel. The gospel is seen as repenting.
That's what's happened to me as I've slowly matured in my Christian life. I become more sensitive to sin. I'm not where I should be. None of us will get there, this side of glory. But but you just no. It's yeah. It's right. And, 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 you know, again, there, there are things I don't do today that I used to do and think nothing of, and now I just. Yeah, it's, it's that wait, and, you know, we read last week in our in the devotions with um, Hebrews 12, lay aside every weight and sin, the sin and the weights that slow us down. It's, it's not necessarily a sin, but nobody runs a marathon in height waiting boots. You know, you get rid of the waiting boots, you wear running shoes, you know, you don't. Weight yourself down. You get rid of that stuff. Um, Another thing that maturing does is cause you to realize, okay, okay, maybe I'm no longer committing as many sins of commission, but what about my sins of omission? What should I be doing that I'm not? That's right. Yeah, I mean, you know, being a Christian is a, is a tough prospect because you're, you're in a spot where no matter what you do, you're not doing enough. You know, you're never there. You can never say, I, I'm, I hit it. I'm, I'm, I've arrived. No. You've not arrived yet. No, it's, it's not that way. Acts 3.19, Repent ye therefore and be converted. What's, the, what's that? That's the Gospel message. Repent. Repent and be converted. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. That your sins may be blotted out. It's part of the gospel. I just want to say on three nineteen part B, it's just important to point out the the and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, I think that's really important. It's part of our repentance process. And like the whole thing over there says, it is a process. I know in my life too, like I was saved a long time ago when I had, you know, like I was on fire for God, but then I, you know, fell away and I became a single mom. But through that. I had to go through a huge, really bad repentance process where I was like regenerated again. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's important to like understand that. Well, yeah, I would say you're not regenerated again. Sanctification. But sanctification, that's a whole different, yeah. Regeneration is a once for all act. And see, like, when I. But yeah, you're right. The whole, like, theology thing, like, you and I talked about it, like, the whole sanctification thing, that's where my theology lines up because that's what happens to me personally. Like, I yeah. Sanctification is a process. We're going to talk about that. Sanctification is the process. I just think it's important to like remember that the Holy Spirit has a whole big part of play in it because right. so many times as Christians we're like, okay, I saved what I have to do. No. You know, and we forget. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It's not that you're saved then I got to do it. Right. It's all up to me. No. There are things that you do, right? But who's enabling you to do it? Nevertheless, I live that yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So it's, it's, it's both. It's a both and, not an either or. It's not either God is going to mature me or I am going to mature me. It's both of us. And you're right. It, it's, it is a process. And the question is not, do we need more of the Holy Spirit? The question is, how much of us does the Holy Spirit have? How much are we yielded to the Spirit? That's really the question that we have. But you see here equating repentance with the Gospel message. Um, Acts 17.30, Paul is telling the people on Mars Hill, um, 
And the times of this ignorant God winked at, but now he commands all men everywhere to do what? Repent. What's the message to the Mars Hill pagans? Repent. That, that's the whole concept of the gospel message, to call people to repentance. Now, wrapped up in repentance is a knowledge of sin, a, a need for forgiveness, uh, your state before God, all of that. That's wrapped up in that word. So when you start unpacking repentance, you see these components in there. But a good word to talk about the whole process is repentance. Acts 26.20 That they should repent and turn to God. And then what's that? And do the works meet for repentance. How do I know that I really repented? How do I know I really turned to God? My life is going to show it. If my life doesn't show it, there's no true repentance. Simon Magnus, it looked like he repented. I mean, good night. The guy walked down the aisle... When Philip was there, he signed the card, he prayed whatever the prayer was that they had to pray. He became a member of the church. And then Peter shows up and exposes him that he wasn't saved at all. The guy wasn't even a believer. It looked like he was. But what did his subsequent life show? He never had it. That's what it says in 1 John 2. They went out from us because they were not of us. It looked like they were. It looked like they were the real deal, but... When the persecution came along or, or something came along, they slowly fell away. And I think we've all known people like that. And it's not that they've lost their salvation. That's not what it's saying. They never had it. Did Judas ever have salvation? He cast out demons. Right? With, one of the, with the twelve? But he wasn't ever truly born again. He never repented. So this is the point, folks. Repentance is a necessary and essential component of salvation. And it's okay to raise the bar. If someone says to you, I'd like to become a Christian, but you know, I don't, I don't really want God to run my life. You can't have it. It's not for you. And you don't need to feel the pressure to say, well, if I preach the hard truths of the gospel, if I really preach repentance and the need to forsake all and to confess your sin, then I won't get as many converts. Well, what kind of converts do you want? What kind of Marines do the Marine Corps people want? A few good men. men. Notice what it says, a few. Because not everybody that goes in the Marine Corps gets to stay there. Because they'll wash you out. Not everybody who goes into the SEAL program, becomes a SEAL. <clears throat> it's a little bit of work to pull that one off. Why? Because there's a cost. There's a price to pay. And, G- and God does not want followers who are not willing to pay the price. That doesn't mean He calls you necessarily to give up everything and become a pauper. That's not what the deal is. But He becomes absolute master and Lord of your life. And if you're not willing to sign on for that, He doesn't want you. Right, and, and those guys that say, "Well, we'll follow you," but he says, "Go away. I don't need you," because what's going to happen when the times get tough? They're going to go anyways. I don't want you. Leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is Lord, and you either obey Him or you don't. 
And when you come to Christ and you say, I want your forgiveness and I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to obey you, I have no desire to change my life, and I really want to keep doing my own sin, doesn't want you. That, that's not what it's about. God can save kids. But then they become teenagers and they go away and they're, you know, like... My answer to that would be, if they were truly born again as a child, what will happen in their later years? There'll be evidence. If they went forward at Camp Patmos when they were eight years old and there's no change in their life, they were not saved in the first place. So we all have Ron Springer, I guess, as far as that goes. It's where... Child grows up, there's that teenage year, mm-hmm. maybe falling back a billion times and then realizing. Well, I, I know in my case, I was saved when I was about eight. I think about eight is when I came to know the Lord. And uh, there's a definite change in my life. I struggled as a teenager, like all teenagers do. Um, I didn't do any of the bad sins, the evil. Way, you know, I didn't drink, smoke, chew, and go with girls who do, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I. You know, I, I had struggles growing up as a teenager, but but I always knew that, that there was a reality there. I was always in church, always interested in the Scripture. And I've known other people that supposedly came to know the Lord, and today they're, they haven't been in church in 30 years. You know, and, and that's, that's the thing. We, we need to preach and teach that salvation results in a change in life. And if there's no change in your life, the Bible encourages you to go back and examine whether you were born again in the first place. It does not say just, you know, if you, you know, once saved, always saved. If you sign the cards, you're in. Don't doubt it. No, there's none of that in the Scripture. The Scripture says the only evidence of a true salvation event is a changed life. Now, you know, it, it may mean different things to different people, but there is a change there. There's something different about you. You're not the same old that you were. And even if a child comes to know the Lord, they can truly come to know the Lord at five and six and seven years old. doesn't mean they're not rebellious. Okay? It doesn't mean they don't have those those trials, but, but you see a change in life. You see a change in direction. And if a child at age five supposedly comes to know the Lord, but when they're... 30, 40, 50, they have no interest in spiritual things, no interest in God, no interest in anything, then that salvation event is to be questioned. But it's the same for all of us, regardless of your age. Okay? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, the upshot of all of this is that how do you know a person is born again? They're changed. They're not perfect, right? They're changed. There's a difference. There is an apparent brokenness over the sin, so when they do sin, they are truly sorry for it. They don't want to do it. They might do it, but they don't want to do it. There's a change in their life. It may be bumpy. It may be rough. 
their, their path to sanctification might take wiggles all over the place and up and down and, and all of that. But if you graph it over time, there, there's an upward trend in that line. Okay? And where there is no upward trend, there's no evidence for salvation. And that person needs to go back and say, am I truly born again? Did I truly understand? They need to examine themselves. Because a lot of the kids I went to um, high school with in, in my church youth group in LaGrange, half of them today aren't Christians. Now, I would have swore back then that they were Christians. And half the people I thought would be on fire for the Lord, they're nowhere to be found. All right? And then some of the people that I thought would never make it at all turn out to be the ones that are truly born again, like Terry, Pluska. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have given you... If you would have had me put 20 bucks on her being anything... Um, 30 years ago, I would, have, I would have put $20 down real quick and would have lost because, you know, God does a work in somebody's heart. And then another person I thought would be on fire for God and do something, they're nowhere to be found because it's a change of heart. And, and that's why you need to preach the gospel for what it is. Don't give people a false gospel. Don't tell them, just come to Jesus and don't forget about the sin. You know, don't worry too much about your sin stuff. Don't worry too much about repentance. Just, you know, accept Him as your Savior and He'll work all of that out later on. No, preach repentance. Preach confession. Preach that. Because you have a greater, um, what do you want to call it, uh, hit ratio of getting people who truly mean it to sign on than those people that just come along for the ride. No. They get their, their standards from the TV. I mean, and this Right. And that and, and you're catching what, what my real passion is in teaching this topic. Preach the whole gospel, including you're a sinner, you're under divine judgment, you've really violated God's holy law. Yeah. Well, we don't want to talk about hell. That's really negative. You know, that's sort of, you know, you're slamming against their self esteem, you're making them feel bad. We don't want to do that. Wait a minute. <laughs> you're not going to have a surgeon cut you open if you don't see the need for him to cut you open. You've got to have a need. And we. Don't worry. And, and here's the point. If God is drawing a person to Himself, they'll pay any price. Right? They're going to be turned off. Alan, we had this preacher um, baptize our son and told him he didn't have to come to church or do anything. So he won't come to church. Well, that preacher ought to be slapped for one thing. Yeah, um, the preacher told him he didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to come to church. So he won't come to church now. Yeah. Because he says, well, the preacher, why did the preacher tell me that? Yeah, well. It's all about community, and the word unity is in the word community. So it's a common community. Yeah. It's coming together. Marshall. Yeah, we're talking about children, and, uh, and that's a topic that's been on my mind. Uh, we have two little ones, and they're not supposed to be just like the dad. Well, you told me earlier they were just like their mom. <laughs> 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 and, 
explain that as a joke to her. Okay, I don't want, I don't want her to get mistaken there. do is bring people back, like Marshall said, to the Word of God. And the Word of God says those that are in Christ Jesus are new creations. Alright, there's some difference there. So those who are truly born again will evidence a change in their life at some point. You don't have to read the Word, but it certainly helps you discover what life is because basically well, you, if the Bible you, is, is an explanation of yeah. but if you tell me, if you, if you tell me that this person is a Christian but they don't read their Bible, they don't pray, they don't go to church, they don't want to be around other believers, that tells me that most likely they're not a Christian. Regardless of what they say, they're not a Christian. Okay? I don't know that. Again, do you see the halos? No, we don't know that for sure. But the Bible, and you see this throughout the Scripture, the Bible constantly calls us back to, to reassess, to see whether you're in the faith, to to look, examine yourself. Not examine someone else, examine yourself. Right. And as I look at my own life, I see an upward progression. I see an increasing hatred for sin, an increasing godliness that's there, and that's not of my own working. So that tells me that God's doing something, which means I'm a Christian. If I don't see any evidence for that, then I have no reason to believe I'm a Christian. No. It's not what we're doing. We're not saying, well, you're going to heaven, you're not. No. But we must keep the faith, all of the faith. Mm-hmm. Part of our discernment and our discussions and why we're called to know a tree by its fruits is because the fruit is righteous behavior. Right. And if we just become relativistic and say, well, anything goes in the church, 
Well, you don't have to read any of the letters that Paul wrote. Right. You see him pointing out errors in the church and saying, do not do this. Right. And, and we're called to that. We're called to expose evil. And that's part of spiritual growth. Correct. Correct. So if we neglect those things, mm-hmm. we're, we're being very poor stewards of the gospel, yeah. of God's church. And One of the things I've always tried to avoid doing is talking someone into believing that they're a Christian. Right. That's not. That's a bad thing to do. What you can do is say, okay, the Bible says this is the evidences for someone who is a believer. But I can't tell you, yeah, you are a believer. I don't know that. I can't see that necessarily. Yeah, you, you got you got to draw them back to examine yourself whether you be in the faith. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's at least start justification a little bit. We're taking a little longer in this than I thought we would. That's okay. It's all right. Okay. Why do we need to be justified? We've all sinned, right? We've all we've all fallen short of God's righteous standard. None of us measure up. We need to be justified because we are in trouble. So what is it? Well, let's say what it is not. Um, it does not mean to be acquitted. What does it mean to be acquitted? The charges are merely dismissed. All right? It doesn't merely mean that. It doesn't mean just you are acquitted before the bar of God. It does not mean to be pardoned. What's, what's the concept of a pardon? Yeah, you really did it, but we'll excuse it in this case. All right. Um, it does not mean to be paroled. What's paroled? You've done enough time, but we'll let you out, but we'll keep an eye on you. It doesn't mean all that. What does it mean? Justification is a judicial or forensic, that's a good word, forensic act of God whereby, on the count of who? Christ. Christ. He declares the guilty sinner righteous. This is what it means. When you're justified, God declares you righteous. Now, that declaration is not an intrinsic one in the sense that you are immediately made righteous, right? That's sanctification. We're going to get to that. But when it comes to the penalty of sin, when it comes to the eternal consequence of our sin, which is what? Separation from God. God declares us righteous. Now, one thing is, some people say, well, justified means just as if I had never done it. That's a good definition that people toss around. Justification is more than that. Okay? If you just didn't do it, what does that make you? Innocent. Does it make you righteous? No. It makes you innocent. Justification does more than declare you innocent. It makes you righteous. It's an additive thing. All right? Beyond that, it declares you righteous. Being declared innocent means I'm just like a big zero. I've not done anything good. I've not done anything bad. I'm just sort of like there. What does God require to be in His presence? Righteousness. So, being innocent is not good enough. I need to be, go beyond that and be made righteous. And that is where we have this concept of imputation. We'll talk about that next week. Where God takes Christ's righteousness and imputes it to me. He credits it to my account. 
And He takes all of my sin and He imputes that to Christ. So when God looks at me, what is He seeing? The righteousness of Christ. Before the bar of God, before the, the penalty, when it comes to the penalty of sin, the condemnation of sin, the eternal separation from God, I am declared before God righteous. Adam and Eve. They were innocent, but they weren't righteous. They were innocent. All right? And that, that's, that's really something, that's a key idea here. If I was teaching this at a college level, I'd say, you're going to get that on a test. It's not just to be declared innocent, it's to be made righteous. So when God sees us, this is the wonder of this, when God sees Alan Schaefer, He sees me as righteous as Christ is. Not because I'm righteous, but because Christ's righteousness has been imputed to me. And my sin has been imputed to Christ. Now, after that becomes the process of sanctification. And ultimately in glorification when I am perfectly righteous. But in the meantime, as far as the penalty of sin goes, I am declared righteous. Alright? You're going to say... Well, the, the sense I have is... Like you said, it's not just the absence of sin, it's the presence of something. Right. And Christ did all this, he was sinless, but he was also a really great guy. Yeah. He always had that within him, the love that was always present in mm-hmm. his actions. He, he, was, he was fantastic. And right. it's not just the absence of our past mistakes, but the presence of this awesome, fantastic nature, which isn't, you know, no good in these wells. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it satisfies all of God's laws. And the only way for that satisfaction to happen is for Christ. He's the only way satisfies all of us. The only way I can stand in the presence of God is to be righteous. How do I get that? Well, Paul talked, we're going to look at this passage next week, Romans 3. How do I get the righteousness? Well, there's a righteousness which is by the law, but that is not good enough. What righteousness do I need? The righteousness which is of Christ by faith unto all and upon all them that believe, Romans 3.22. I get the righteousness of Christ. And since Christ's righteousness is infinite, He can give that away to somebody and still have what? Infinite righteousness. It's not diminished. Christ's righteousness is not a, a fixed quantity. It's an infinite quantity. It is infinite. And that's what it means to be declared righteous. Okay? And we'll flush that out next week. All right, but we still got sort of started on this. So let's close in prayer and we'll come back next week. Father, thanks so much for this day you've granted and thank you so much for these wonderful um, uh, truths of the Scripture, the righteousness of Christ that we have, the forgiveness of sin. And Father, for some of us in here who have never come the way of the narrow gate, never come through that, that path of repentance, I pray that you would show us that and that we might come to you in true repentance and true faith. And thank you for this day in Christ's name. Amen.